0: This is Greg Savage, author of Recruit the Savage Way. You're very fortunate to be listening to The Resilient Recruiter, which is the podcast run by Mark Whitby. Mark gets fabulous talent on his podcast, experienced recruiters, successful people, and the advice you'll hear on this podcast will set you on your way. Welcome to The Resilient Recruiter.
1: Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Greg Savage. Greg has four decades of experience owning, managing, and growing staffing businesses across the world. He's the founder of four highly successful businesses, including Recruitment Solutions, which he took to IPO, Firebrand Talent Search, which resulted in a trade sale, Eloquent Staffing, which was another trade sale, and People to People, which is still very much uh, growing and thriving. Greg still takes an active interest in founding and growing recruitment businesses, investing in startups in Australia and the UK. He's a LinkedIn top voice. He's been inducted into the Recruiter International Hall of Fame. He's the founder of the Savage Recruitment Academy and the author of the best-selling book, The Savage Truth. He also recently published a new book called Recruit the Savage Way. You can learn more about both of those books and his other work at gregsavage.com.au. I've known Greg since around 2009, and I'm very grateful for his mentorship over the years. This is his third time on the podcast. Greg, welcome. Great to see you again.
0: You too, Mark. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're reminding me that your podcast is called The Resilient Recruiter, because I've just realized how resilient I must be to be on here for three times. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. Um at, yeah, actually, it's funny, uh, you mentioned recruitment solutions, that business was started in 1987, and it was floated on the stock exchange in 1999, Wow! Um, and, and it was a, I'm only mentioning when, you'll realize why I'm mentioning it, it was, it was a, I'm very proud of that business, I'll be honest with you, because I think it was innovative, and we grew it to sort of $50 million 30 years ago, and it created a lot of great people. And we had a reunion last Friday, Mark. Can wow, you believe it? that must have been awesome! And f- it was weird. It was awesome. Yeah. But when I saw the names, some of those pe- forty-one people came from a company that was it was eventually bought by a bigger company in, in two thousand and one. That's twenty-five years gone, and um, it was a wonderful night. It was. It was meant to be from four till six, and 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 people were being pushed out the door at ten. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was. Um, it was a strange thing because, um, and I guess anyone who's been to a reunion, a, 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 like school reunions, people look different as they've got older, obviously. But within seconds, the dynamics are recreated, you know. And, and there were such good stories, and they, a lot of them are business owners now. And so, yeah, when you mentioned recruitment solutions, I mean, it was a long time ago, but um, wow, yeah, it still has a community. Can you believe that? Must, that's beautiful, Greg. I, I think this is
1: a quote I learned from you, which is that the true measure of a leader is how many other leaders they've
0: created. I'm sure I got that from you and- uh, Yeah, yeah, I probably, I probably stole it from someone else, Mark, <laughs> but I claim it as my own. Um, I do say that a lot um, because for a long time when I thought about leadership and I talked about it, it was about creating people who follow you, right? So, the, and, and what I meant by that was not mindlessly or like a acolyte of some kind, but more like you don't have to be in the room to supervise them because they're going to follow a certain ethos and, and a way that the leadership is created. But I think it doesn't go far enough. I think, I mean, it is actually true that um, in, in part of this recruitment solution sort of euphoria, somebody um, did some work and said that there are 32 recruitment companies now owned by people who got their starts at recruitment solutions. Wow. And I thought, you know, I can't take any credit for that at all. Um, I do, obviously, <laughs> but I shouldn't. Um, but, but it's a wonderful thing to think that they then went on and did that. And, um, yeah, I do think, you know, getting it off me or Recruitment Solutions, I do think a lot of leaders think it's their job to tell people what to do. It's, it's to show, and then it's to allow them to do it on their own. And if they outshine you, that's your success partially. Absolutely. So it's good. Yeah, no, brilliant.
1: Um, so Greg, people, I mean, already I've got my copy of uh, Recruit the Savage Way here. Oh, beautiful. I'm just digging into it and um it's is fantastic work as as one would expect from Greg Savage. But um yeah, it's I I guess if people want to learn more about their, your book, they should go to GregSavage.com.au. Um the first section is on attitude and mindset, and you know, this is so important. I always Tell owners that you should hire for attitude over experience every time because you can train people to do the job, but you—it's so hard if someone's mindset isn't right. You know, no matter how much experience or how much skill they have in theory, if uh, if their attitude and their mindset isn't uh, you know isn't aligned for, to, to to thrive, could you speak a little bit to that in terms of? Um, your experience, yeah. but also how it relates to the current marketplace.
0: Sure. No, you've, you, it, the book starts with that and, and it starts with that, because as you quite rightly point out, it took me a long time to really learn this. One of the big reasons for the high turnover in the staffing and recruitment industry, and the fact that so many rookies don't make it, there's a lot of reasons, by the way, some of it's to do with the lack of training and, and a whole lot of things, but. Often it, it it's predestined to fail, because they, they, there's not enough work done by those of us doing the selection to work out whether the DNA it's the wrong word really whether the the, the 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 blend of competencies and attitudes and mindset are aligned with what you can expect in this job. Now those those things can be strengthened and they can be honed, just as a good athlete gets better. But you're not going to you know if you take someone who who is not coordinated. Um, no fitness, no strength. They're not going to play rugby for Australia, right? They, they, you start with some foundation and then you build up. Yep. So um, some of the main ones, I think, uh, if you want to get a mindset thing, this is something you can learn and, and, and develop, but it's critical. You have to believe that what we do is of value. And, and, and the, uh, you might say, well, of course, but actually a lot of recruiters don't believe that. You'll hear them saying, oh, good, our fees are high. And you'll hear them saying... Oh, recruitment! It's not rocket science. Well, of course, it's not rocket science. But 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 the statement itself is tremendously self sabotage. I hate that. It's just an example. expression. Yeah, it, it's, you, you hear that so it, much. It drives me yeah. crazy. It drives me crazy because it's, what it's saying is it's simple. Mm. Well, it's not simple. It's an extremely complex, sophisticated job to do well, and and so you have to you have to believe that we have value. And that allows you because unless you believe that you can't strike credibility with clients and if you don't have credibility with clients and candidates, if you don't have credibility with stakeholders, you can't advise. You know, like if you and I went to a doctor or a lawyer or a house painter or a hairdresser, any one of those, we would only put our situation in their hands if we trusted them and they were credible. And so you've got to have that mindset. The second thing uh, is, you know, people talk a lot about resilience in, in recruitment and you know, you're not nearly as old as me, Mark, but you can remember the days, and they still exist a bit, where resilience was considered to be macho. It was like, God, I remember back in London in the 80s, it was like, make a hundred calls, mate, and and if you get told to piss off a hundred times, make a hundred and one, be tough. That was the ethos. And and, and as for crying in the office or showing your emotion, that was absolute career ending. And I think that, that that's not what that's not the way to think of resilience. The way to think of resilience in recruitment, I, I don't know how you could do the job if you don't show emotion. I've got no problem with crying, um, swearing, walk around the block. I've got no problem because there's such bad things that happen and there's so much work and you're dealing with lives. So it's extra special. So I understand it's how you deal with it though. And this is my definition of resilience. And I took a word which I stole, well, borrowed from an English football coach and the word is bounce back ability. Mm-hmm. And I love it because what it means is your ability to come back from adversity, and that's resilience. So a recruiter who has had two offers turned down, a temp bomb out, client be rude, three candidates ghost them, the next phone call she gets, she's pumped up and the stakeholder on the other end would never know, that's resilience. That is resilience. The fact that she cried for five minutes or he cried for five minutes before is fine, it's human. It's how you bounce back. And you actually, I mean, I hear it all the time. I'll talk to a recruiter and say, hey, mate, how's it going? Oh, it's good. I've got three, I've got three offers, but they'll probably be turned down like last week. Did you hear what happened to me last week? And I'm like, mate, I don't give a continental. Last week is so old news. Don't drag your wasted emotion forward. And that is a strength of mind that, that recruiters need. Because the 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 candidate or the client on the phone or the VC or who you're meeting, they don't need to have your emotion brought into it. All they want is your positivity. So that, that's, those are some of the sorts of things we talk about, um, or I talk about in the book and I have talked about for years because I feel the book is just, it's just a summary of everything. I mean, I was a good recruiter, Mark. You probably would have hired me, but I was nowhere near the best and I wasn't the best at any company I ever worked at. They were far better. And so I've learned from those people. I've also watched people fail, uh, not on the sidelines, but trying to help and seeing why they've failed. Uh, and these are these are some of the reasons. I've seen great recruiters who don't have resilience because they get so sucked into the negative that they affect their next interaction. So those are some mm. of the things um, that I think are important. Love it. So
1: obviously believing in your own value, believing in the value that we can deliver to stakeholders um, and then having that true resilience, which you could call bounce back ability. Uh, mm. Any other key attitudes or... Ways of yeah, thinking that yeah. you well, think are critical to be able to thrive in this business?
0: Yeah, I think one of the big ones is 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 um, the threat of complacency. Now, you might find that strange. People get upset when I call them complacent because I think I, they think I mean lazy. I don't mean lazy. If you're lazy, you've got no chance. But complacency means being satisfied with the status quo. And, and our industry is set up to encourage people to feel that because – you know, you've seen it yourself. And there's a lot of it's happened since COVID, right, because some newbies came in and they did quite well and they worked hard, don't get me wrong, and they made a lot of placements. But it's actually a very one-sided skill set that they ended up with, which is transacting on the candidate side. And and their names got up in light and they had some good quarters. And before long, and by the way, this has happened since I started, just touching on COVID because it was amplified post-COVID. But it's happened and, and they held up. As superstars, and their names on the board, and they get big bonus checks, and I've done all of that myself uh, as a leader. But the problem is, people start to believe they're very good when they're not very good. And, and I've sat up as so many recruiters have said, "Greg, I've got 10 years' experience." And I've had to say, and I'm not a very popular man, Mark. I've had to say, "You don't have 10 years' experience, but you have 1 year's experience 10 times over. You know better now than you were after 12 months." And the problem with that is. The reason for it, I should say, is because you closed your mind to learning because you had some good. And you, I mean, how many cocky recruiters who think they know it all have you met in your life? I was one of them for about ten years, <laughs> you know, and 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 it helped me back. So co- complacency. What you need to be is nimble. You need to be. I like the phrase. You need to stay paranoid. <laughs> now, now that doesn't mean yeah. the clinical. That that does that doesn't mean the clinical mental state. It means asking yourself, where could I get better? Am I? Am I falling behind anywhere? What else is happening? That's the thinking of a great recruiter. And particularly now as, you know, clients' expectations have changed, the candidate market's evolving, technology we know about. It's so different that, yes, there are some core skills and they are in my book and they are timeless, but there's always new things. And so I think, the concept of a skills briefcase I talk about a lot. It's, uh, it's this metaphorical briefcase. Could be real actually, but let's say it's metaphorical. In that briefcase, you put all your skills, competencies, and abilities. And then I say, come back in six months. Let's open the briefcase. Show me what's new. There's nothing new. You're on a slippery slope to recruiting hell. And, and there's plenty of recruiters who, are, who, and they're actually being found out now because they're not able to adapt to the new market because of the changing market. So I think I think that is one I think the other thing the mindset of a hey, Craig, recruiter is one I, uh,
1: before you move yeah, on sure. to the next Dump thing it. I just wanted to reflect on what you just said about you know not being complacent and it's so true it's it's interesting cuz the people I've had on this show who've either been you know extremely successful owners or really top producing recruiters uh s- something they all share is that in spite of how much Uh, they've already achieved. They are never satisfied. They're always trying to improve. They're always trying to level up. They're always open to learning. And the good news for our listeners here is the fact that, A, you're listening to a podcast, you know, is a sign that you are open to fresh ideas. You want to develop yourself. Um, And, you know, secondly, the sort of person that would be attracted to buy, you know, Recruit the Savage Way or come along to see you, Greg, you know, that attitude of just constant self-learning, self-development, uh, wanting to sharpen your skills, try new tactics um, is exactly, you know, one of the re- prerequisites, I would say, to be a top achiever anyway.
0: Uh, I agree. I agree. And I like the concept of a nano degree. And a nano degree is a self-initiated, focused learning on something that you realize you're short mm. on. Now, I've just done a nano degree on AI in recruitment. I didn't go to university. I listened to podcasts. I, I researched for hours. I, I contacted people on knew and said, introduce me to people I know and I'll take them to coffee and let me ask them. And I did it for three months. And right now, I know very little about AI from a technical point of view, but I've got some clarity, I think, of how it's going to impact up. And why? Because I need to know because that's my job. And so I really think that what happens a lot in recruitment is, is, is recruiters focus on what they're good at. I think we do all do that in life. But but if you want to be a great recruiter, you've got to be honest. And that's another mindset, actually. I'll talk about it in a minute. You've got to be honest with your shortcomings and then take a nano degree. Either, yeah, if you can get your company to enroll you on a course, that's brilliant, of course. But find out, tackle it head on. Um, I remember years ago, you know, like I did a nano degree in Instagram for recruitment, yeah you know, it's just me setting aside a time to make sure I know what I think is important. And I'm sure that, that, that people who are successful in all walks of life don't shy away from their shortcomings. They work on them. And I think that's the hallmark of a good
1: Absolutely. Career. Greg, you're kind of the embodiment of that. You know, if you think of, sometimes we, we it's so interesting in our coaching program, we have people who are in their twenties and we have people who are in their sixties and, and everything in between. Um, but sometimes we hear people say things like, you know, Oh, well, you know, I've been doing this a long time and, you know, at my age, I'm not, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not technical or anything like that. Right away. We know they're not right for us because, you know, and I, it, as soon as I hear someone say that, I say, go and check out Greg Savage, Greg Savage's blog, because he's a similar age to you and he is crushing it on social media. And, um, you know, that's, that's
0: just a limiting, you know, belief in your, in your imagination. Uh, it's It's completely that. And, and, you know, I've actually got off most of my social media, so I'm just on LinkedIn, but I mean, it was, it was 20 years ago when I started to realize I was running Firebrand and I started to realize, Hey, this social media thing, it's, it's going to be more than just, and my friends would say, that's silly. It's just for teenage girls to take pictures of their breakfast. And I'm like, they do that. But there's also a lot else application, and that's when I started my blog, and I started getting on Twitter, which it's all old hat now, and we used it for our business, and it wasn't particularly clever or anything. It was just, you know, I was already in my forties, right? so I could easily have said that's not for me, and I don't even like social media. I'd rather get off it, but it's part of my job, right? I mean, you wouldn't be talking to me if I didn't have a profile. You wouldn't even know of me. So I think. I think you're absolutely right. Just being open has nothing to do with age. It's to, to do with mindset. There are actually plenty of 20-year-olds, um, 20-somethings who are closed minded about building a brand on LinkedIn. They'll spend hours on TikTok, but they won't put because it's work. And, and and that's not the mindset. So I'm, hey, you know, hey, I think I think this whole hey, da, uh, this whole uh, area is so Shout important.
1: out to uh Darcy Smith that I'm I'm calling you out. Uh Darcy's one of our clients. She is massive on TikTok. She's got like I I I think she's got a million followers or so on TikTok and we're getting her and but she's got a bit of a mind block to LinkedIn. So we're getting her uh focused on producing content on LinkedIn. Um
0: yeah. Yeah, Greg, come on Darcy. I, Lift your game,
1: Darcy. <laughs> so, Greg, you you touched on AI. It's I don't know if you know this, but you, or remember this, because it was a few years ago, you were my very first guest on this podcast. And uh, you helped me launch the show back in November uh, 2019. And the subject was the future of recruiting. And you talked about, you know, how our job is going to evolve and the aspects of what we do that, you know, we need to focus in on that uh, are critical to having longevity uh, in this business. And then the aspects of this job that are ultimately going to be done by AI. And that was, so that was over three years ago. And it's so funny because it's coming true, right? Um, Could you speak a little bit on that? I know it's not your Specialist subject, but you just said you've done a nano degree in this and it's something that you're, you know, you're, you're. Embracing. Yeah, I just
0: wanted to understand, you know, like I even just, I wrote, I wrote a blog on this and people can look it up. I mean, it's only a few weeks old. It's on my website. I mean, I, I tested out Chat GPT like everybody else, but I, I tested it out. I gave it a real drilling. I asked it how to define a margin, the temporary placement in the staffing industry, and it got it wrong, right? Completely wrong. So I said to her, that's wrong. It's a percentage of sales, not a percentage of. It. And it said, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm still learning. And then I asked it, tell me some funny things Greg Savage has said on speeches. And it came up with the most outrageous list of dad jokes, none of which I'd ever heard before. Huh. Now there's two, there's two, there's two things there, right? There's two things. First of all, it's not that clever. Don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. ChatGPT is only that. ChatGPT is like a Model T Ford, right? It's right. just the beginning of the motor yes. car. Right? So it's going to be incredible. It is incredible already. But all I'm saying is it's not, you know, if you didn't understand how to, the difference between a margin and a markup in the temporary business, which actually most people in recruitment yep. don't, and you went to ChatGPT, it would have told you the wrong thing. It does tell you the wrong thing. Maybe I helped it educate itself, but it told me the wrong thing. And then if you said, okay, now that was frivolous saying, what does Greg Savage but what if you said, what a Greg Savage's view on racism? And it started spouting stuff that wasn't mm-hmm. true. I might not get a job. I certainly wouldn't get a job as a comedian based on what ChatGPT said about me. It completely made it up. Yep. I've never said those things. So I guess what I'm driving at this to intro it is that um, technology, all of it is on a journey. I mean, even, even the stuff we're using now, Um, how long have we had uh, Zoom and Teams and and how often do they go wrong and people can't connect? I mean, it's it's still not working. So all I'm driving at with this little intro is don't rely on the technology, use it for what it's good at and be careful for what it's not good at. Having said that, it will get better. On a more general point, I I don't know what I said four years ago when we spoke, Mark, but it, it probably wasn't that different to what I'm going to say now. We should embrace technology and recruitment, but we've got some golden rules around. it. First of all, we should employ the technology and the automation to do the parts of the job that the technology does better than the human beings. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and we may not like that because we, we we are in love with some of those things like screening candidates and writing ads and all that. But if, if technology can do it better, we must embrace it because it's better. But also, if if we still go the slow way, it's like someone riding a horse when someone else has got a Maserati. We're going to come second. So um, that's the first thing. But the second thing is, and this isn't the, the important point, but it's still worth saying, and I say this to the owners of businesses I consult to, don't employ any technology, even if it saves you money and even if it improves technology until you've tested and you're satisfied with the answer, does it improve the candidate experience? And if it doesn't, don't implement it. Now, now we see that every day. I mean, if you try and go to Qantas and get something done or insurance company, um, they've got all the technology in the world. You, you press buttons, you do that, nothing works, you can't get any answers. So as a user, as a customer, you're frustrated as anything. And and the temptation is that we get so caught up with the technology and we forget about the stakeholders. I think we'll look after clients because that's our mindset, but the two stakeholder other stakeholders are candidates and the recruiters. Mm-hmm. So don't employ any technology unless it improves their ability to get what they want from what they're doing. And the final thing of the three big things I wanted to say is that the implication for recruiters is that if big parts of their job are done by automation, and that that's increasingly happening, they've got to be expert at the part of the job that only human beings can do, and that part is the selling and influencing skills. And the problem with that is that there are a lot of recruiters who made a living without really having very strong skills in those areas. And they actually did where they were strong with the parts of the job that technology is gonna take away from them. So they are on a very thin ice. So, um, and there's a long way to go. I mean, actually the emergence of AI has actually made recruiting harder right now because people don't, there's so many, there's so many um, fanatics about, about technology that, that people fail to take a balanced view. I mean, AI has made it so easy for candidates to finesse their cover letters mm-hmm. and their uh, resumes and to predict keywords that the technology is going to look for, that for a recruiter being bombarded by candidates, they all look perfect. It's actually hard yeah. to find people. Yep. So, so there's there's a lot of nuance to this. And you know, when I wrote that blog about ChatGPT, there were the amount of sort of tech guys were like. You, you're not using the paid version, and you're old-fashioned. I'm no mate. I love it. Don't worry. I understand technology. I'm just telling you, it's wrong some of the time. So be careful. That's all. <laughs> um, and 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 it's very important because it's interesting because at the same time that I um, was doing that stuff with ChatGPT, I strained my calf in the gym. So I went to ChatGPT and I said what do I do with a strained calf, and it told me. It said lift it up and do ice. It said, and I did that. But then I asked it about what an definition of a margin was and it didn't know it. So I started to question myself, did it give me good advice on the other thing? I think it did, but just be careful. I hear you. It's not foolproof. Absolutely.
1: Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you want to be respected as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Our sponsor iintro gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. You will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention, and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iintro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation. And if you mention that you listened to this podcast, iintro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. That is more or less what you said when we spoke a few years ago. I think um, it's becoming more and more true uh, that you know the 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 real human skills influencing, advising, uh, selling in the you know in the best sense of the word, which is you know advising, listening, yeah. uh, empathy, and uh you know persuading um yeah, AI is not not able to do that, but if it can enhance the other things, then uh, and uh, you know, then we need to embrace it. W- one thing- it- yeah, I'll give you an go example, yeah. Mark, uh,
0: of where they, where they go hand in hand, right? So, and by the way, if I said that four years ago, I was predicting it then, but now I'm just telling you what's actually right. happening. So yeah, I was right. Um, there's, uh, but if you say a lot of things, eventually some of them will be right. <laughs> so I shouldn't be too. <laughs> um, some technology that one of my clients got, it's no, it's no big deal, it's just built in and it synchronizes with the job at a database, Um, years. And it's when you've had a shortlist and it's down to two people who've had third interviews. They're both brilliant for the job. And clearly one of them gets the job and the other one doesn't. So now you've got this brilliant candidate who's, who was about to accept a job. She's ready to move. She's proven herself in the process. She's committed to move. What do we do? That's an asset. Yeah. We've also got recruiters who are not very good at business development. So this piece of technology then goes out and scours the internet, all the job boards, and it comes back, does it in seconds, and says, here are three jobs that fit this person's, within a job geographic, that fit this person's profile. And here's the person recruiting. So there was technology that did something that would would take a recruiter a month to do, did it in a few minutes. Now the recruiter uses his influencing or her sophisticated telephone skills or crafts a good um, text or email and engages with that client and says, look, we don't know each other, but I've got an outstanding candidate. I've Just spoken to her. She's keen to work for your company. Can we have a five-minute call? Makes the call, gets an interview, makes a place through their selling skills, right? Uh, you know, I'm just, by making it all short. There's probably 20 other steps, but the technology opened the door and that's, you know, it's a very simple example of what is actually happening now. And it's very important because a lot of recruitment companies are saying to their recruiters, you must go and do business development and they're now setting KPIs and all that stuff. And that's all probably well and good. But it's not much good telling someone to do business development when they've got no idea where to start, no tools, no leverage. And so these sorts of AI tools that do that that say, okay, well, if you're going to call this client, it's not a blind call. They're recruiting for a person who looks like your candidate. That's a much easier thing to do. Definitely. Definitely great. Hey,
1: uh, really interested in, and this is what's so cool is that you're still very hands-on working with companies, working with uh, recruiters, seeing what works and what doesn't work. And um, that's a great example. And so just following up on that, the people to people example, is that an off the shelf, piece of software? Or is that a custom, you know, uh, tool that people to people has kind of developed their own, uh, their own application? Did I say
0: that was people to people? Did I? Shouldn't I? Um, That is, I think something that is off the shelf, but it has had modifications. Got it. All right. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's just an example. There are plenty of, so another, another example of, that another client is doing, this is not, I just love these sorts of clever way of doing things. So a um, consultant takes a contract job for six months, um, enters the data into the database, and the database comes back with 43 people who could ostensibly do yep. it. The recruiter looks as those 43 and knows two of them, but the other's not sure where they're up to, which is typical. Mm-hmm. You can press a button and a text will go to them saying, Sorry to bother you. Please ignore this if it's not appropriate. But we've got this very cool six-month job. We haven't spoken for a while. Just text back yes and I'll give you a call. So 32 don't reply, but seven, whatever the number is, text back say yes. He's got seven calls to make and people who are, okay, I'm not saying that they're interested, but they've expressed they're welcoming his call. And even the ones who didn't respond, they're going, oh, those guys are still thinking of me. So again, another example of the text, not highly sophisticated, but of the tech, that's a text one, which I actually quite like the use of things like text mm. in the right circumstances. Um, and and that again, is playing exactly to what I'm saying. The technology did, did the heavy lifting, but then the recruiter does the finesse and sells the job to the candidate and makes the judgment. It's cool. It is very cool, yeah. Thanks for sharing those real examples. Um,
1: Greg, I know there's a section in the book, which is a reality check regarding activity. And this is kind of an out of fashion idea, um, but can you, can you share your philosophy on, you know, activity as it, as it relates to
0: success in recruitment? Well, first of all, sometimes when I talk about this, people call me old school. And I reply by saying, do you have any children? They look at me and I say, yes. I said, do you teach them or will you teach them to look both ways when they cross the road? They say, of course. And I say, well, that's fucking old school. (laughs) My mom taught me that and her mom taught her that. It's still very, very useful advice. (laughs) And that's how we need to think about measuring measuring activities and recruitment. Because the fundamental belief is this. Two fundamental things I'll say and then I'll build on it. The first thing is If you don't do enough stuff in this business, you will fail. And the metaphor is if your job is to score goals in a football team, soccer, if you don't take shots on goal, you won't score. So if you take one shot a goal per game, you probably will score one goal all season. Mm -hmm. So you've got to take more shots. So if you lift it from one shot to 10 shots, you might say to yourself, well, I'm going to be a great goal scorer. Well, no, because it's number of shots. That's the activity, but it's also the quality of those shots. So it's the quality of the activity. If all those shots hit the corner black, it wouldn't matter how many you make. If they're all going into the top or the bottom left-hand corner, well, you're going to score some goals. Now, you might say that's a bit frivolous, but it is actually a good metaphor because it's high activity in recruitment. And by activity, I mean interviewing candidates, resumes out, matching client meetings, uh, candidate-client interviews, all the things, reverse marketing, all the things which could vary depending on the market. Those are the shots on goal. But the quality is... The quality with which you take a job, the matching quality, the quality with which you brief a candidate—all those sorts of things. So it's activity and it's quality, and you cannot get better at something unless you measure it. But right? you can't say to yourself, "I'm going to get better," unless you know well, what's better. Well, what's better is you've got to get better at the at the skill, and you've got to get better at the volume. So uh, I mean, the amount of times I have spoke to a recruiter, and it really would be. Too many for anyone to count on a Friday and said if you had a good week and they say yeah I have and I say why and they say I got a bottle of champagne from this and I did that I say how many of your candidates are sitting opposite clients as a result of your work because in permanent recruitment that's the golden metric yeah. now you've got to have the right candidate that's the quality right so when people say kpis are bad and then I see people write ads and and they say we they're recruiting recruiters and they say, we wor- we work in a, in a no KPI environment. To me, that's like getting on an ocean liner where they say, we work in a no lifeboat environment. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> because the problem with KPIs isn't the fact that it's measurement. The problem with KPIs is they're badly implemented by managers don't have a clue. Exactly. It's right? people confuse the fact of measuring
1: something and knowing your metrics with you know, micromanagement; those
0: two things are not synonymous. They're totally different. Totally different. There is no sports person, or or academic, or anyone who doesn't measure their outputs and then try to work on improving them. So, I mean, the problem with most KPIs is that they are foisted on people with no consideration to where those people are up to. Not explained why they're important, right? So, the real—it's really you know—the real conversation with a recruiter is for to help help that person to understand that this is their dashboard. Yeah. For them to have a, a beer on a Friday and feel whatever it is they want to do. You can't say that anymore because not everyone drinks. I get it. Um, to, to have a happy Friday night, looking back, at, even if you've made no placements, but if you can say, yes, but my goal was to meet three clients, to get 12 resumes out, and to get four of my candidates in front of the club. I did that. And you know through science, because recruitment is a marriage, Mark, of art and science. Yep. It's a marriage. So it's an art its ability to sell a job to a candidate, to listen with purpose and all those things. But it's also a science because if your average placement fee is $10,000 and every fourth interview of yours turns into a placement, which it will average out at something, then you know exactly how many interviews you need to make to how many placements to how many dollars to hit your 100000 for the quarter. It's a science. And so activity is absolutely critical. And it is laughable how many people have confused Creating an environment of empowerment and uh, well-being and uh, respect with measurement. They can go together. They do get be because ultimately, and this is the where we get to the real savage truth, ultimately, people's job satisfaction and their longevity will be closely aligned with their success. 100%. So yes, you, you've got to have a good environment where people are treated with respect. And uh, But no one's going to stay because you've got a cappuccino machine. They're going to stay because they have high self-esteem because you've helped them be successful and earnings. But m- most importantly, high self-esteem. And if you're filling one job out of seven, you won't have that. And so you need measurement. Because if you're filling... I mean, there are a lot of people who are unsuccessful who don't... I ask them, what percentage of jobs do you take, do you fill? And they don't even know. They are literally operating in, in the dark. dark. exactly. So, exactly. It's so
1: interesting Greg. I'd love to hear what advice you have for owners on this because a lot of people when they join our coaching program if they're scaling a business as you said like a no KPI environment that's so popular these days because people feel it's going to attract, you know, uh, you know recruiters to come and want to work for them. And often it's the owners themselves have maybe been in a uh a an environment where they felt, you know, they were micromanaged, it was handled inappropriately. And they, when they they vowed, when they started their own firm, they were gonna operate differently because they didn't like that, even though potentially one of the factors that helped them be successful. And so they start growing a team, but the thing is the team are underperforming and uh, it's a combination of factors. It could be, you know, they're not doing enough training, coaching, but also they have no idea what the volume and quality of the activity is that's happening in their in their business and so as you said how can you improve if you don't measure it's it's impossible yeah, so, to know exactly where you need to uh coach your team in order to level up their performance uh you're literally in the dark so how would you recommend to Especially, I'm thinking of owners who are very resistant to this idea. They don't want to suddenly, they've had no KPIs and then suddenly they're going to like go, you know, at, at, at the other extreme. What's the best way to manage KPIs in the most appropriate way?
0: Well, a couple of things. First of all, if, if anyone listening to this wants to go to my website, there is uh, on the top right end. There's a thing called free ebooks. Free ebooks, and there are three of them. And one of them is a twenty five page ebook on this. Awesome. Um, so get that. And but I'll repeat. Well, I'll, I'll I'll share some of the key things. The first thing is you don't have to call them KPIs. Sure, it's almost because You don't a- have to call them targets. Yep. Yeah, I mean, KPI is an offensive word because it, it's, it, it's got connotations, yeah. I understand. that. Call it, call it something else. But, you know, the first thing I'd say to those, I can, I can tell you what their business looks like. Uh, they've got 10 recruiters. Two of them are high performers. Yeah. Two of them are on the way up or on the way out. They're very low performers. And the rest are mediocre. As a result, they don't make much money. Yeah. And they're getting bigger and bigger and making no money. Yeah. And it's because they don't. Measure and work with people to improve their ratios and their hit rates. And you can't, I don't know how those owners would sit with their mediocre person in their When I say mediocre, it's not a mediocre human being, they're mediocre with their results. How would you sit with that person and give them advice? What are you going to do? Try harder, not helpful. Good luck, not helpful. You need to give it somebody tangible. I mean, it's like a rugby coach at halftime saying, guys, try harder. They're trying. You need to give those people specific advice and you can't give them advice if you don't know. Because if I've got two consultants who are both billing inadequately, I could have one who's making 12 client-candidate interviews a week and one who's making one. If you don't know, how could you dig into that? The one who's making one Clearly that's an activity just needs to lift the activity. There might be other factors. The one is making 12. How come he's got 12 candidates sitting opposite 12 clients and not making placements? There's something wrong with his ability to take the jobs or his ability to make the match or the quality of his. So you've got something you can dive in with and you can give the person advice. So I like the idea. I mean, I'm not going to fiddle around with words, that's not me, but but if you want to call it your dashboard or your consultant's management self-managing tool. Once you've explained it, I think first of all, and it's in the ebook, you've got to go back to your data. And, and, and again, a lot of people who don't believe in KPIs don't keep the data, right. yep. and you need the data. How many jobs, here's little Johnny the recruiter, is billed in Australian terms, say $250,000 in a year. He's paid 100, hardly you know, losing us money, yeah. and, and not very happy, and low on the leaderboard. But we like him, and he's got talent, and he seems good. Why can't we corral this? because you're giving him no concrete advice. So firstly, you dig into Johnny's hundred, um, sorry, jobs for the last year. He took 50 jobs. How many did he fill? He filled seven. How many of those were exclusive? How many interviews did he have per job? How many interviews did he have? Sorry, how many resumes did he have per interview? Other way around, how many interviews per resume? All that sort of stuff. And then you're not gonna go to Johnny and say, you made 50 interviews, I want you to make 55. You're going to say, what do you think it is that allowed you to make so many interviews and yet so few resulted in placements? Let's look at your qualification of candidate process. And now it becomes valuable and the recruiter will get bought in because he understands why you're asking them to do these things. The thing about any kind of um, KPI, which is just foisted on you, you or I, we wouldn't like that. You know, we're independent. We think we know what we're doing or we want to feel that way. So someone walked in and said, Greg, do 20 of those. I'm going to say, why? But if they explain to me that I'm not hitting my numbers and therefore I'm not earning what I want and 20 gets me X outcome, 20 times two gets me X times two and that's going to be fabulous. So um, it's all in the ebook, but it really is um, one of the big, big, I was going to say lie. It's not a lie. It's one of the big misunderstandings in recruitment that, you, that, 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 that having measurement means it's micromanaging. It's not at all. In fact, wouldn't you want your doctor to measure everything so she can give you good advice? Why is it different in recruitment? Let's be forensic about what people are doing and what's working so we can tailor it so they get a better outcome. We don't want them to work harder. Typically, most people work hard. We want them to get a better outcome. But how can we give them that advice unless we know what they're doing and how much of it they're doing and how it's working? So um, that's the advice I'd give your people. Change the change the terminology if you wish, work with your people on the basis of, we're gonna empower you to understand what a good week looks like and understand what works for you so you can pull the right levers to increase your performance. That's what it's about.
1: Perfect, I love it. Thanks, Greg, that's, uh, that's awesome. Listen, uh, there's two more key topics I wanna to delve into with you. Before we do that though, we should mention that you're coming over to the UK And um, if people want to get more of what they're hearing right now, then they should definitely come and spend half a day with you. So uh, the Recruit the Savage Way Masterclass Series is, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast under Greg's episode. But equally, uh, you can also (laughs) go to gregsavage.com.au and go to the blog section, Greg gets something like a million visitors a year to his uh, his blog. It's the best blog, in my opinion, for recruiters um, and- You say that to all your guests.
0: <laughs> I know you say that to well, all your actually- guests, just
1: such a time. <laughs> so you go there and you can learn more about the dates and how to register and so on. But basically you're gonna be in Belfast, Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham, Bristol, and London uh, in September. So definitely check that out. Um, yeah. Uh, I've I've yeah. been. T- it would, it would be great
0: to see people there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mark. Um, any any coincidence that that speaking tour coincides with the Rugby World Cup in France is completely by accident. <laughs> but um, that's awesome. Uh, and also, two home two home games for West Ham. So there will be there'll be more than recruitment. Um, but yeah, that that, that that's uh, it's a morning. It's put on by the REC. Uh, I'm going to give a presentation. We're going to have Q and A. There'll be lots of recruitment banter. So I'd love people to come and you get a copy of the book. It's part of it. Amazing.
1: So if you're uh, in the UK or even Europe, you know, definitely it's worth the trip to come and see Greg Speak. I've been to his master classes myself. Uh, last time he was in the UK, I think in, in Glasgow. Uh, and uh, it's just a great event, tons of content and, uh, and a lot of fun. Uh, if you're in the US, while we're speaking of events, we have an in-person event coming up as well, Greg. We're... Getting uh, a bunch of our clients together in St. Petersburg in Florida, October sixteenth and seventeenth, and actually quite a few of the attendees are have been on the podcast before. So if you're a fan of the show and you want to rub shoulders with really outstanding human beings who are not just you know very successful in recruiting, but also just you know wonderful people as well, uh, and hear a bunch of great speakers, including myself, my colleague Leanne. Um, but we have guest speakers from within our own uh, recruitment community here at Recruitment Coach. And we've also got some external speakers who are uh, coming in as well. You can check that out, recruitmentcoach.com forward slash Florida. Uh, you can learn more about the agenda and and how to register there. So a couple of events for you to put in your calendar.
0: Sounds good, that one. Mike. Thanks, Greg. Pretty, it's on the other side of the world.
1: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, Greg, next thing I want to ask you is about <clears throat> career development. We've talked about the attitudes and mindsets of, a, of a, someone who's going to be successful and have longevity in this business. Um, but and, and, and you've talked about empowerment to actually know your own numbers and have your own dashboard so you can maximize your results without having to just work harder. Um, could you say a little bit about, you know, the importance of developing your own career?
0: Sure. Uh, this is another sort of blind spot, I think, for many of us. And I've often had recruiters say things to me like, oh, I spent three years at that company, but they didn't look after my career. So I had to leave and, or they didn't look after my career and it set me back. And the first thing is this, you own your own career. Yes, you've got to work for a good company where there's opportunities and and, and, and they're going to train and develop you. But there is no one, nobody, having sleepless nights about your career. Okay, maybe your mum, but nobody else is having sleepless nights about your career. Even a company that is going to help develop you, you've got to be dreaming if you think they're worried about where you're going to be in 15 years. And nor should they you've got to worry about your career and you've got to take ownership of your career and you've got to drive it and you've got to think hard about it and, and one of the things I'd encourage you to do if you're a recruiter is not to only think of your career as a hierarchical one and by that I mean you know I need to become a team leader and a manager. I've seen a lot of careers um, uh, harmed by that. Some You need to understand that a career of being a recruiter in itself, and being a better and better recruiter, and working more senior in the market, and seeing through your KPIs that you now fill four jobs out of five instead of one out of five, and that your average fees go to ten from ten thousand to forty thousand, and all your clients are repeat business. That's tremendously satisfying. Now I've got a friend; his name's Graham Whelan. Actually, I write a chapter about him in the book. I call him the best recruiter I've ever met, and um, he was at that reunion. He's retired now, he was a for 45 years, and he he helped me start that company and he did manage teams and he did a fine job, but he never loved it. He loved the client meeting, candidate conversation, and, and he built up a wonderful reputation. And by the end of his career, he could walk into any boardroom in Sydney or Melbourne, and I'm not exaggerating, pretty much most of them, because he was a finance recruiter. And if he walked in there, half the people would get up and put their arms around him, because he placed them four times, he probably placed their children. And he loved his job till the last day, but he didn't really love managing people and talking about KPIs and um, you know performance management. And so when you think about your career analyze where you get your jollies, that's the best advice I'd give you. Now there's a lot of people in recruitment, and I say this in a positive way, who are selfish. Not, not selfish in a mean way, but they like to see their name top of the board. They enjoy the thrill of being the best at recruitment and that you should chase that. In my own case, after five years, if I had to interview another candidate, I would have jumped off the Harbour Bridge, to be honest with you. I got more fun, even though I was a goodish recruiter, I got more fun out of building teams and helping other people be successful. And not just for altruistic reasons, I won't take any special credit. I I got my affirmation by seeing people around me succeed because I knew it was partially because of me. And that's why that was me. But he and I are brilliant examples of the two careers in recruitment. Who, Who made a bigger impact on recruitment? I reckon it'd be line ball, but in the end, I reckon he would have helped more people than me. So, and 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 you know, can take more pride in what is achieved. So, there's different careers. So that's the first thing. Don't go into management unless you have the really the question you've got to ask yourself is: Am I happy to get my satisfaction out of seeing other people be more successful than me mm-hmm. at recruitment? And if the answer is yes, then you're successful. It's what Mike was saying at the beginning about leadership being helping other people to even overtake. So I think I think that's a foundation point. I, I think the other thing, and this is very harsh, and people um, get startled when I say this, is only if you're a recruiter, there's only three paths you're gonna go down. Uh, one is you're gonna be very successful, you're gonna learn the sophisticated skills, you're gonna be, you're gonna stock your briefcase, you're gonna develop relationships, you're gonna learn how to sell you're going to get great at the ratios. You're going to know, you're going to completely manage the marriage of art and science. You're going to build a lot. You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to have a lot of fun. That's about 10% of people. And you're going to love it. You're going to be Graham Whelan. Or you're going to not make it in this industry because you don't have the mindset. You don't do enough of the activity. don't have the resilience. Maybe you don't get the training. There's a lot of reasons. But you're going to then leave recruitment and you're going to go and potentially be brilliant at something else. You're a Nobel Prize winner at something else. And that's totally fine. It's not a crime, just recruitment's not suited for you. Then the third path is you're going to stay in recruitment because you're just good enough to stay, but you're going to be serially mediocre. And that is purgatory Mm. because you don't have enough highs to compensate for the many, many lows. Mm. And I see people in recruitment who have been at 10 years and they hate their job. And when they've had a few drinks or you got them on, on, a, on a moment when they're really um, exposing how they feel, they, they, they hate their job because, and they'll always grab a tape talking about rude clients, uncooperative clients, candidates who ghost them, uh, how unfair it is, the lack of luck they've got. And it's none of those things. They're just not very good recruiters. And so their life is mostly disappointment in the job. Because after all, if you're filling one job out of five, That means that 80% of the time you're at work, you're failing. Yeah. Who wants that? Who wants that? It's fine to have that at the beginning of your career, but you move it to 60% until in the end, you're like Graham, who's filling 99 jobs out of 100 because they were all exclusive, all retained. Took him years. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's the journey. So those are the three paths. You're going to be great at it, you're going to leave, or you're going to be mediocre. And, and, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you're a mediocre human being or anything silly like that. It's just that you end up in a multi listed environment, spamming resumes around town, hitting the goal occasionally, but mostly not. And it's not, this job is too hard and too relentless to be mediocre at. So I think that's why I get frustrated with younger recruiters or even older ones who plateau and 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 I'm I'm saying be careful, you know. Like it, and and God, you read my blog two years ago. I warned people. I said when this market turns, you're not going to have the client skills. You're going to be a great job filler, but you're not going to have any. There's plenty of recruiters who've never done a client visit in their lives. Now they need to engage and see people, and they don't have the skill. So chickens are coming home to roost, and I'm not, you know, taking any joy in that because I've seen the cycle so many times. And and it's just, if you want your career to go well, you've got to tackle the difficult things, you've got to have courage and you've got to set out to be great at this job. Now, that doesn't mean to say everyone has to be a superstar. You've just got to keep moving forward. If you fill one job out of five, next year, you're going to fill one out of four and the year after one out of three. And you're going to work at things like selling exclusivity and you're going to work at better relationships with the candidates. And you're going to build a brand on LinkedIn. You're going to do the difficult things. If you want the rewards, you have to do the difficult things. Absolutely. I think
1: uh, by definition not everybody is going to be the number one biller in the company. There's only one of those, right? But you know, unless you're growing, developing, making progress, then why are we doing this? Like that sense yeah. of progress and 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 you know, honing your craft and and seeing your results increase is is extremely satisfying and um yeah, I mean and that's Absolutely critical to a, a long-term career in this. Greg, um, I do want to talk about the economy because it's, it's so we're in a weird place right now. And obviously there was a huge boom in 2021 and 2022. And um, in some sectors and particularly tech, there's been a slowdown in hiring. And um, but if you look at where the economy is compared to pre-COVID, it's pretty much on a on a level with with where we were before. And unemployment is low. You know, the indicators we're not technically in a recession. The the, the growth may have stagnated, but um, but people are feeling as if you know not everybody, but I'm hearing from. Recruiters and, and firm owners. Oh, it's like, you know, the market's tougher, you know, and people are getting, you know, despondent about it. What's your take on
0: this situation? I, I hear all that, and it's true, it has softened. But again, it's time for a reality check. You know, it's just gone from an unprecedented boom. And who of us would have predicted that after, when in the middle of COVID that a year later we'd be booming? And it went on for two years, and they, our industry grew at unprecedented s- scale. I mean, the UK, I know a lot of your listeners in the UK, it's a 42 billion pound market. It grew at 8% eight eight and then 15%. It's probably slowing now, sure. But for those of us with more gray hair, and even you might be in this category, Mark, it's nothing like 2007, 8, and 9. No. It's nothing like the recession before. Absolutely chalk and cheese. We're not in a recession. We're not even in a downturn from an employment point of view. We've got very low unemployment. We've got systemic skill shortages in most countries, and there is still a lot of hiring. What, what, what? It, I don't even believe it's necessarily any harder than it was, because after all, it was only a year ago that recruiters were whining and complaining about a lack of candidates. Now they're complaining about a lack of job. Mate, welcome to recruitment. <laughs> this is how it's going to be forever. <laughs> it's
1: either one or the other, you right? Know, it's, never- it's either...
0: We, I mean, can, we, it, we need more. Candidate. One thing, it won't be as easy. Right. Recruitment's always hard. <laughs> the, the thing is, you need we need to be nimble, and we also need to take a longer term view. So that's and then it, this almost comes back to KPIs, right? Because if I was one of those managers when I was going through of your managers who are you know nervous about the concept, when when we were going when your recruiters were going through that post COVID boom and they were making lots of placement, I would have built in and I would explain to them and debated with them and got their, their, their um, buy-in, that despite that, as it says in the Bible, seven, seven lean years and seven fat years. We're in the seven fat years we're not the seven lean years. So, so, okay, we're going to fill all these jobs, but we're also going to, all of us, do two client meetings a week or whatever your outbound engagement yep. strategy is. We're going to, our top 20 clients. Like I spoke to companies that said, these, these are your top 20 clients by Billings, have we seen every decision maker in the last year? And the answer was, this is a year ago. We don't need to. They love us. That's, that's, that is that's the thinking that we suffer for now because we needed to go and build those relationships. So we needed to go and sit opposite that client at the height of the market and say, what could we do better? Who else do we need to know? Who else would you want to know? And then when the market turns, they'll take your call. So that's the thinking that we need. As for Greg, the, the problem is that a lot of people have built no relationships. I, exactly. And no, I was
1: just going to say, I yeah. agree 100%. The problem is, in spite of you saying this, and and I was saying this to our, all our clients as well and, and on the show, that no matter how busy you are, and I know you're going flat out trying to fill as many jobs as possible, you must continue marketing and business development, but people didn't do it, Greg. So now they're on the back foot. I know. And so... If, yeah. if, if if you know, someone listening is in that position that, okay, now they're kicking themselves because they they were just concentrating on recruiting and they didn't invest time to build their brand, you know, on LinkedIn to yeah. continue client meetings, et cetera. Um, what do they need to do now to
0: get, you know, well, uh, uh, back, back to, where to where they need to be? Okay. Well, fair enough. It's all very well saying you should not yeah. Uh, done this and done that. Um, so right now, if I would suggest that you go for a low-hanging fruit strategy. And what I mean by that is it's going to be very difficult to encourage your recruiters who've got no skill in this to go out and do hardcore cold BD. Uh, they're not going to have the skill. It's going to be relentless. You may lose people who, after all, it's going to take off again. We're going to have good times yeah. again. So, you know, it's always cycles. So I would just simply sit down and actually one of my most recent blogs, uh, I think it's called 17 Tactics for Business Development right now. Go and have a look at that. It's only in the last few weeks. Um, So it'll be near near the top of the blog list. Uh, And there I talk about, first of all, um, let's try to make the business development for our recruiting team warm rather than cold. So let's do some very simple things. Who are our top 25 customers in the last year by Billings? And let's go and see them all. Now, I know people work remotely and it's a, if it has to be a VC, let it be a VC. But, but if it was me, and yeah, call me old school, but then you're the one who's asking the advice. <laughs> um, I would go and see them. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would go to my second tier list, which was, Everyone I've had a placement with in the last three years, but I've seemed to have lost contact with, and there'll be lots of those, and I will generate a list, hopefully got the ATS and the tech to do this, and that's a warm call. Hey, Bob, it's been very remiss of me. I can't believe it. I haven't spoken to you for 18 months. Remember we placed so and so down there. It's a warm call, and, and by the way, and I'll just come back to the list of things you can do. You must always call with something for the client or the prospect. Don't call like, hey, this is Greg from Greg Personnel. Have you got any jobs for me? You've got to call with insights, advice, or something useful. So, you know, if you have to create some little documentation about salaries or whatever, I know it's not new, but it's important to call with insights yeah. or maybe a candidate that may have the skills, something to show that you're doing more than just making 100 calls just to satisfy your, your boss's KPI requirement. So then I would go maybe on the temp side and I would look at every temp that I had marked as good quality that I've lost contact with and I'd just spend days or part of every day calling lost temps because now you might say, "Great, we're not looking for temps, we're looking for work. Well, where do you think your temps are? Mm. They're working somewhere mostly. They, might, they may be senior and in a hiring position or they may be contracting somewhere and if they're contracting somewhere, that is a company that is hiring contractors. So there's a lead. So these are the sorts of things I would be doing. Trying to, uh, I'd go to every permanent candidate we placed in the last five years, five years. I set up two lists. Every permanent candidate we placed in the last five years and every permanent candidate who was on a short list but came second. And I'd work out where they all were and talk to them. They might become clients as a result of that phone call. They might become candidates again or at the very least you've improved your um, goodwill equity with them. So I would be giving my recruiters all those sorts of tools so that the calls they're making, yes, they're business development and the emails they're sending, they are outreach, but they're not cold. Now cold is not, you know, if you've got nothing else, then do cold. But much better not to. Do something that's warm. Um, so and and call with insights. Uh and be prepared to, you know. Oh, the other one, sorry, I was going to go down another track with someone. The other one that is still very powerful, it's as old as the hill, it's old school, but it still works, is reverse marketing candidates who've got great skills, very specific skills. Ask that candidate's permission and say, I don't have a job with ABC Limited, but if I can get you an interview there, would you be interested? They say yes. That allows you to call that company and say, I have the best UX designer I've seen for two years. It has to be true, by the way and she specifically wants to work at your company. Can we have a chat? That's a very powerful opening line. And it's a lot better than hey it's Greg here, you got any jobs. So that <laughs> kind of it. thing. Hey Greg. In Australia, they have
1: they call this reverse marketing. In the rest of the world, I've not heard that term. We call it MPC marketing. MPC stands for most placeable candidate. So, um, yep. it's it's, you know, if if you're if I was starting from scratch today and I needed to make something happen quickly. That would be probably my first port of call is find an outstanding candidate with quantifiable achievements who has agreed for me to represent them speculatively to a targeted number of companies uh, and use that talent that you uh, have access to as your way of getting a foot in the door.
0: Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's 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 timeless. It's Definitely. timeless. Yeah, some people call it specking out, reverse marketing. Yep. Um, there's other words, but it it's it's kind of you know the tail wagging the dog. But it's if you do it cleverly, and you can use LinkedIn to, to ascertain what skills companies yes. typically hire, and it's quite impressive for a client to hear from somebody who says, "Now I know that you've you, you've got 32 UX designers in your company," and I've seen this. You know it. it it may not lead to them hiring that person, but it leads usually to a productive conversation, which you can turn into a meeting or maybe uh, a follow-up agreement in three months or, or or maybe they say, no, I'm not looking for a UX designer. I'm looking for an SEO guy and, or all person. So Absolutely. it's better than calling someone saying, Greg here from Greg's personnel, can you help me? Absolutely. And if you
1: you could even look on LinkedIn at the people who are already in that department, in that job, working at that company... And, you know, say to the client, I've looked at your current, you know, uh, team and this person uh, is, you know, better than 90% of them based on what I'm seeing uh, on LinkedIn. So, you know, it shows you've done your research as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything like that is going to separate you from the the mess. It's going to get their attention. I I found saying saying uh, something like, and this person has specifically nominated you as a company they want to work mm-hmm. for, which is true because mm-hmm. you, you know, everything has got to be true. Yeah. You've asked them, would you like to work here? They've said yes. But to the list there, it's quite flattering and, and they they want get intrigued. And the conversation normally goes from there. Love it.
1: Greg, we could, uh, we could go on for another hour, but uh, you know, I think that's as much as most people can absorb in one sitting. So Uh, Thank you so much. That has been a lot of fun. And uh, good luck with your uh, speaking tour in the UK, the Savage Way Masterclass. Be sure to check that out at Greg's website, gregsavage.com.au. And as I said, it'll be in the show notes as well. You can find it at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. Greg, awesome to catch up with you as always.
0: Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be on uh, your podcast and well done on everything you're doing. And I'm sure that um, a lot of the remedies that we've touched on here, you can help people with. So um, if you're struggling with some of these things, don't call me, call him.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Greg. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really wanna help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.